May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it is that time of the year, isn't it? There's some snow out on the ground. It's a little bit, but it's some. Town squares all around. If you've been driving around, decorations are up and lights are twinkling. Evergreens are hung out and all of this is going on. Seems like every other car has a blue spruce strapped to the top of it as they're driving down the road. St. Nicholas is making some appearances here and there. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's happening. Uh, yesterday... Um, I actually invited to two different parties the same day. I know, that popular, right? And so there's a lot of things going on, you know, parties are happening. And everybody's asking each other the same question. We're not talking about the things we normally talk about, the weather, the team, the president, whatever we talk about. But instead, the question is asked over and over. And you know the question. I mean, you know what they're asking, right? Are you ready? So are you all ready? Are you ready for Christmas? And Christmas can be a lot of work. I mean, it can be a lot of work. There are things to do, aren't there? There are parties to be planned and schedules to be fixed. There are gifts that need to be purchased and gifts that need to be wrapped. Groceries have to be bought. Houses have to be cleaned. Decorations have to be put out. All the sort of things that we have to do. And it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. And it's good because it makes the season festive and joyous and wonderful and everybody has a great time and it wouldn't happen without all the work and so the work is good and it gets us busy and we sometimes we even forget that it's cold outside we even romanticize the cold don't we baby it's cold outside we sing i was thinking about this do you know that the lyrics I, i can't remember them all but you could sing that song in january You know, when it's still cold outside, but nobody does, right? You're not celebrating cold in January. But somehow, this time of the year, it's part of the festivity. We have a lot to do. We're busy. And it's good. Mostly. It's mostly good. You knew there was a catch, didn't you? You knew there was going to be a catch. Because sometimes we're too busy. The paradox of Christmas is that all of us are rushing forward to this great celebration of a spiritual and religious holiday commemorating the birth of our Savior. And we're all about the same idea, but the church and the lectionary are trying to pull against us and saying, slow down. No, don't hurry. Wait. Don't rush ahead. Look, observe. Look around you. Pay attention. Pause. When my boys were little, we used to read this book to them called Hurry, Hurry. It was about Miss Muggs who grabbed little Susie and um, Miss, Susie's parents went away. And Miss Muggs was left to be the, 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 the aunt or somebody in charge. And so Miss Muggs would take Susie on all her adventures and she had many things to do. And so she had to hurry, hurry through all of her adventures. And she created one catastrophe after another. And little Susie was powerless to stop Miss Muggs because she was in such a hurry. As try as she might, there was no stopping her. And that's sort of us. The more hurried we become, the more harried we become, isn't it? The more we have to do, the more stressed we become over the things we have to do. The more that needs to get done, the more frustrated we become about all of these, these logistics that we have to take care of. And we begin to miss things. We begin to miss out things. We begin to create all kinds of catastrophes for ourselves. And focusing on the minuscule, we sometimes miss the sublime. Focusing on the penultimate, we sometimes forget what the ultimate is all about. 
In our Old Testament lesson today, the Old Testament um, prophet, the last of them, the so-called minor prophets, Malachi, gives to us a little bit of his fiery sermons. Um, Malachi, is uh, he preaches in the middle of the 5th century B.C., 455 or somewhere about there, so about 400, 450 years before the birth of Jesus. And um, like all the other prophets, he's, um, he's sort of a hard-hitting preacher. I don't think he wants to get invited to many parties. I don't think he has a lot of friends because he's very direct, very confrontational, especially with the people of Judah and Jerusalem. Um, and he really goes after not just the people of God, but the priests as well, the priests in the temple. And so um, if you've ever read through his, his, um, his little prophecy, just a four short chapters, I want to give you just a little taste of what he does. This is in the first chapter. He, he writes, um, a son honors his father and a servant his master. He's speaking for God, the prophet is here. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you? O priest who despise my name. But you say, how have we polluted you? Uh, how, how we, how, by saying that the Lord's table is to be despised, when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. Malachi says this, people are going to worship. They're showing up to church and they're giving a gift. They're presenting an offering at the church. And Malachi says it's lame. It's not worth it. God is not pleased with it. He's rather disgusted by the whole thing. He goes on to say this, oh, that there were someone among you who would shut the door. Just, just lock the doors and keep people out. If this is the way that you're going to worship, you can see Malachi has no intent of making friends. Chapter 2, he goes on and he really goes after the priest. He hits the clergy rather hard. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, he says in chapter 2. And people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. Priests who should be giving good instruction were not. And Levi, or Malachi calls them out. They're, the people have settled for a tepid religion. And the priests have become so corrupt, they don't even char uh, charge the people more about this. They, they no longer push back. And so you're reading through Malachi. You come to a point where you think to yourself, well, what's the solution? What's going to happen? How, how will God deal with this? And that's where we get today's lesson. How is God going to deal with the people who have settled for tepid religion and for priests who are corrupt and no longer push back or hold people accountable? If you have your bulletin, look with me at the lesson, will you? The prophet speaking for God. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Malachi predicts two advents. The first is that there's a messenger coming. And the second is that the Lord himself is coming. First, the messenger. The word my messenger is Malachi, actually, in Hebrew. It's the same name of the prophet. My messenger is coming to prepare the way for me. Look, the messenger is going to say, here he is. He has arrived. John the Baptist, behold, the Lamb of God 
right? The messenger is going to come first and say, the Lord is coming. Get ready. Make every path straight. Every high place be brought low. Every low place be high. We've got to level out the place. The Lord is on his way. This is what the messenger is going to do. In the Jewish um, Passover tradition, they, they always re- save one seat that's empty for Elijah. Elijah, the prophet of whom Malachi speaks, the prophet Elijah is going to come and say, the Lord is on his way. So they save a seat for Elijah and a glass of wine for Elijah. And after the meal, the child, the youngest child, is to go to the door and open up the door. And the the parents will ask, is Elijah coming? No, I don't see him. Well, come back and let's see if he took a sip out of of his wine glass while we weren't looking. So this is a a sense of waiting for the the prophet to, to come because the prophet's going to announce the coming of the Lord. The second advent is the Lord himself. Yahweh. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Yahweh himself, is going to come to his temple. And you can almost hear the people say, oh, goody, isn't that great? It's like Santa Claus, you know, only better. He's going to come, it's going to be a party, it's going to be fantastic. You know Malachi already well enough to know that's not what he's saying, right? But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? This is a rhetorical question in case you didn't catch it by just the intonation of your preacher. No one, no one can stand when God appears. Who could dare to stand in his presence? Because you know what? He's going to be like refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. Now these metaphors are completely lost on us, um, not on Malachi's generation. They knew well what a refiner did. They know a refiner of metal. And they knew well what a fuller did. This is a, a, a launderer. We have dry cleaners. But I'll get to that. The first one, the refiner's fire. He'll be like a ref- This is where somebody has dug out precious metals like gold or silver out of the earth. And you know this, that when they get these metals, they're encrusted in, in, in earth and other geological uh, material, you know, limestone or sandstone or pumice or whatever. I know nothing really about geology. But they take this rock, which is precious metal and, and, and other materials are there, and they melt it down with super hot heat. A fire that is stoked very, very hot until it turns into a liquid. And then the silver or the gold sinks to the bottom, and all the other stuff kind of floats to the top. And then the refiner skims it off, and then he gets it hotter still until more and more impurities rise to the top, until there's nothing left in that pot but pure silver or pure gold. And the fuller soap, this is, uh, or the, the, this is when a, a launderer takes a, a, a piece of fabric and, and soaks it wet, and then takes a brush with a really strong soap, so strong it almost would burn your eyes from the fumes, and begins to scrub it really hard. I don't know if you ever like work on things, cars or stuff that get your hands dirty and you, you got to take the scrub brush to them and it gets really pink and sore and hurts. This is the image. What's it going to be like when the Lord returns? He's going to be like a refiner's fire and like fuller soap. It's going to be scrubbed raw until, it, until it's clean. Eugene Peterson translates the passage like this. He'll be like a white hot fire from a smelter's furnace. He'll be like the strongest lye soap in the laundry. These are the metaphors. God is going to purify his people. We, of course, find ourselves on the other side of those two advents. But waiting for still another one. 
There's a third advent we find out. The messenger comes, the Lord comes, and the Lord is going to return. And so we're caught in that middle part between the second and third advent. And Malachi says to us, are you ready for the Lord to return? And we say, oh goody, (laughs) yes, we can't wait. Not so fast. You know, I'm, I think that we are in a very precarious place in the Western world, especially with, the, with our culture and the way our culture has this um, seemingly religious but not Christian attitude about it. That we have become something wholly different than um, what we were even just a couple generations ago. And it's not just in the U.S. I'm talking about in the West generally. We have this Christian heritage, whether we're in the United States or Great Britain, Ireland or Spain, you know, Holland or Italy. There's a Christian heritage. We have monuments to our Christian heritage, but we've become really museums of our Christian reality. Go to the, U- go to the UK or anywhere in Europe and, um, and, and find one of these massive cathedrals, and you know what you'll find? You'll find a ticket office out front where people buy tickets to tour and look at the architecture. And many of these these, uh, cathedrals will be lines of people waiting to get in to see the architecture. But show up on Sunday morning, and they're empty. People who will look at the architecture and say, oh, what a great museum to 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 the faith, but there's no longer the faith that exists inside of it. And this is our culture. This is where we find ourselves. The gods of our age are clear. Money, power, and individualism. This is where we live. And our values oftentimes reflect these gods. And we have to ask ourselves, do we have the values of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jesus? Or are we more like the gods of this age? And if the Lord suddenly returned, what would happen with us? The question is, are we really pursuing the things that Malachi was was pushing the people of his age? Are we really pursuing holiness and righteousness? We're not there. None of us, you know what, I can't imagine ever being in a place where if I heard that I was about to meet God, that I feel like I would be ready. I don't know about you. I just don't feel like I would be ready. I feel like I would say, Wait a minute, I still have some work to do. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, yeah, you know about this and that and that, right? Yes. But are we pursuing it? Do we long for hearts that are generous and not selfish? Do we long for humility instead of arrogance? Do we long to be gentle and not harsh? Understanding, not intolerant. Kind and not cruel. Do we long to be people who are holy, not immoral, patient and pure and decent? Do we long to hear a word from the Lord? Oh, Lord, speak to me today. Do we long for that? You know, the service of Holy Eucharist, this moment, the church teaches is where heaven and earth overlap. We know that with the table. We have a long history of uh, of the theology of, of communion there's this moment where, in, in, depending on how you look at it from, from the Catholic or from the, the Reformed way, where the, the Holy Spirit is coming down, or rather we are ca- caught up into heaven. But in any event, there's this understanding that, that the Lord is present there. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that in the preaching of the word, that the Lord is present in the word just like in the sacrament. And that we should envision when the word is being proclaimed that Christ himself is walking around, touching, talking, calling people. Do we long for that? You know, I know we've got a lot to do. We've got a lot to do to get ready. If we're talking about getting ready for Christmas, I think that we're probably way behind the eight ball in terms of that. Our tree's not up. Cards haven't been sent. Um, there's all sorts of things still to do. But what bothers me about me, not about you, but about me, is I think in here there's still a lot more to do to get ready for Christmas. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.